Hi, hello, sweet listeners, and welcome back to the In the Meadow podcast. I'm your host, Victoria, otherwise known as Vic in the Meadow on Instagram and Vic Sauce on TikTok. And today we are talking about being a sensitive soul in a harsh world. I'm going to chat about what that's looked like for me throughout my life in childhood, adolescence, adulthood, and how I manage that in today's wild world that is not built for us hypersensitive folk. First, I want to catch y'all up a little bit on what's new in my life, what's going on. Really appreciated all the feedback on my Child Free by Choice episode and my Fall Bucket List episode. Two very different vibes, podcast to podcast, but it seems like a lot of y'all really enjoyed that. So nice to get to chat with y'all after you listen and send me a message. So I guess I'm just here to say thank you for continuing to listen and hear me out and enjoying. Now, what has been new with me? Well, let me tell you. My experience this past weekend has led perfectly into this topic that I'm talking about today, which when I'm recording this, this is the Tuesday before this episode goes live this coming Sunday. I am somebody that feels all my feelings to the extreme, but I'm also somebody that deals with some mental health struggles with anxiety, medical anxiety, severe metaphobia. I don't want to get into it too much in this episode. Long story short, I had to take a new medication for an infection and they were, I guess there's a shortage right now. I'm not sure if this is like just in my city, in the province, in the country, but there was a shortage of the antibiotic that is best used to treat the kind of infection that I was dealing with, which is a UTI, which if you ever had one, you know, is very not fun in the first place. Anyways, there was no antibiotic of that brand type, whatever, in stock. So the pharmacist had to talk back and forth to the doctor and they were like, okay, all we have is Septra, which is a sulfa-based drug. And I don't want to instill anxiety on anyone because I think most people know if they are sensitive or allergic to sulfa-based drugs in childhood. But I talked to my mom and she was like, you were like pretty healthy as a child. Like, I don't know if you've had sulfa-based drugs or penicillin before. And the pharmacist kind of freaked me out, didn't really help. She was like, you know, well, watch for a rash or if you can't breathe or if your fingers start getting cold. I have such bad medical anxiety. Anything that could lead me to a hospital setting is one of the worst places to be as somebody with severe emetophobia, which again is something I'm lifelong looking into managing. I'm not looking for advice. I have um, a plan of resources to reach out to. It's just a matter of, you know, finances and actually doing that. But anyways, I am proud of myself. I'm very proud of myself because I did the hard thing and I took the medication regardless. I called my doctor's office first, double checked that there's no listed allergy. And I figured, okay, I can't just avoid these things. There's no other medication that I have available to me right now. And if I let this infection keep going, it could be really bad. I did the hard thing, took the medication in the morning, was okay. So I took the second one at night and started having some not fun symptoms, abdominal pain, nausea, which again, very triggering for me. And then I woke up the next morning or maybe it was even later that same night. I can't remember. I had already decided I was going to have to talk to the pharmacist the next day due to the pain and other things I was dealing with. And then I started noticing my skin peeling off, which I know skin sensitivities and rashes and issues are a big side effect potentially of sulfa-based drugs. And this antibiotic is quite potent. And unfortunately, I was in Spiral City. It also was the long weekend, so I was like, oh, my doctor's office isn't even open Monday. Just flipping my lid, scared of the unknown, the what-ifs, which I'm really bad for getting in my head about. Anyways, talked to the pharmacist. She was lovely. Talked me off the ledge and, you know, let me know that if something really, really bad was going to happen, it would have happened by then. Not as bad as it got. I sat with the discomfort. 
I took the medication even knowing I might have a reaction or not be able to tolerate it. It sucked, but I'm still here. I'm still kicking. I think the UTI is gone as well. Oh, but it was a big weekend with a lot of feelings. And I know do so many people, I was talking to one of my friends and she was like, man, medication is supposed to make you feel better. Like this is a good thing. And it's just like when you have anxiety, especially medical anxiety, and you start spiraling, you don't look at it that same way. But it was a good reality check for me where I was like, no, you're right. Like this is something that's meant to make me feel better. And I am having panic attacks, crying about it. Just totally fine. That was my weekend. It's been super exhausting. My ears, my poor ear skin is still like snake level shedding. It is so uncomfortable and I can't pick it because if I do this skin underneath is so raw. I did schedule a check-in with my doctor. It's not until next week because I'm due for a pap anyways, but yeah, I'm going to be okay. I decided I wasn't going to talk about this on Instagram just because I know it can instill anxiety in other people. I don't know. I don't know. The podcast feels like the safe space of my people that actually want to listen to me <laughs> to share about these things. So I have been implementing a lot of the things that I'm going to talk about in this podcast today, this weekend, and have just been being very gentle with myself. <laughs> so that's the not fun news, I guess, of what's been going on. And honestly, the spiral, the spiral went deep. It was also one of my first times being sick and uncomfortable since Boo passed away and Boo was always, you know, what would keep me going in my moments of anxiety. So there was just a lot of really hard feelings of grief that were popping up mixed into my medical anxiety as well. But I am so lucky to have a wonderful supportive partner who downloaded the next season of Gilmore Girls for me, hooked me up on the couch and kept me fairly distracted throughout the whole events. I'm trying to think of what else is new, what else is happening. Honestly, I am excited for fall, but if you live in, I think honestly, all of North America this past week has been having a bit of a heat wave. I know in my area of Southern Ontario, anyhow, it has been like 33 degrees, which is nuts because it was like a crisp 15 last week and now it's 33. I'm like, listen, I know it's not officially fall until September 21st, season-wise, but it's too dang hot. How am I supposed to live, laugh, love, and watch Halloween Town in these conditions? So I've just been hermiting away inside. I'm also not supposed to be in like direct sunlight as a result of that antibiotic and the skin sensitivity. So regardless, it's a great excuse for me to hermit inside, watch Gilmore Girls, eat homemade bread, just veg out. If I think of anything else new, we'll chat again at the end of the episode, but I can't right now. I'm excited to get in and talk about being a sensitive soul. So let's just roll right into this week's little topic. I am somebody that has always been a sensitive little bean. Like ever since childhood, I was the kid in class that was too scared to raise their hand about anything. I was the kid that was crying during the Remembrance Day assembly, crying at everything really. Feeling the feelings very, very deeply. I liked my quiet little spaces to read, process my thoughts and feelings. I hated loud spaces being overstimulated and I still do. My days of people pleasing and avoiding conflict stem back as early as I can remember. As somebody as well with parents that divorced like pretty much the second I was born, primarily lived with my mom and every other weekend or so, sometimes once a month, would go to my dad's, which was like an hour and a half away from my mom's. I, listen, my bond with my mom is very special. She nurtured my sensitive soul. Every single time she would drop me off at my dad's, I would cry for 
years. And unfortunately, after, you know, she would try and console me and after she would inevitably have to leave because hello, divorced parents. <laughs> just remember my dad telling me to stop crying and he would get frustrated with me over that. That's not something I'm ever going to fully, I don't want to say get over, but maybe forgive <laughs> that an apology has been issued anyways. If you know, you know, I don't, I don't really um, talk to you or see that side of my family in adulthood now boundaries. That is just to say, in many ways, I think I was always kind of instilled as a child from other people that being sensitive was a bad thing, something to cover up, that feelings weren't a good thing to feel. Like I said, my mom was never that way with me, but when a ton of other people are, it makes you feel embarrassed or unsure as a child of how you're supposed to behave in certain places. And this was in my alleged home made things very, very confusing. I think that's why it's taken me so long into adulthood to be okay with being as hypersensitive as I am. Now, when I start crying, I can joke with people and say like, I'm, as long as I am okay, that I'm okay. I cry over everything. It's just something that needs to happen. I need to let it out. For so long, I felt like it was a bad thing. So you can see that I used to think being a sensitive soul was a hindrance, that I was a sponge for everyone else's emotions and energy. But the most beautiful thing I've learned with time is how sensitivity is my greatest ally. How magical it is to feel so deeply that with proper boundaries, we can thrive. So here I am embracing my hypersensitivity. It is okay to feel your feelings. You're perfectly fine just as you are. And I've been so lucky throughout my adult life that I've met people who understand these big feelings. And honestly, I feel like more than anything, I've learned this from my platonic relationships with my girlfriends. I'm somebody that has big feelings for everything that's going on. I, gosh, my partner and I have been watching Ghost Whisperer this summer. It's been very cathartic and healing since losing Boo. And it's an early 2000s show about a woman who helps people cross over, you know, spirits, people that have passed away and animals that are not able to cross over and have unfinished business. She helps them finish that business and cross over. I cry every single episode. <laughs> And that is a-okay. I am somebody where I am crying at most emotions. I cry when I'm happy, when I'm frustrated, when I'm angry, when I'm stressed, when I'm sad. And once I start, it is so hard to put on the brakes. Anyways, I was talking about this with one of my best friends, Sam. We are both self-appointed crybabies. And that is not a bad word. I am okay being a crybaby. Both of us have been experiencing some friendship hurdles, not together, but with our own separate friends. And I remember a couple weeks ago, I was voice messaging her crying at work between clients because I was having a slight, I don't want to say argument, disagreement with a friend or misunderstanding, miscommunication. And I was just so upset that somebody thought that I was being malicious or maybe not caring as much as they needed to feel that I was caring about something. No, it's vague, but it's, I'm not airing my friendship dirty laundry on here. Anyhow, I was having big feelings and I felt a little silly, but I also know that Sam was my safe space because she also feels things so deeply. And yesterday, almost the exact same kind of thing was happening where she was voice messaging me and she started crying, voice messaging, talking about an issue with somebody that was, you know, a new friend in her life who suddenly just kind of stopped replying and she didn't understand what, quote unquote, she did wrong, why they were not interested, which of course isn't her fault at all. But both of us were just like, man, I'm so glad that we have each other as that safe space 
just to have these big feelings talking about things that other people might not think are quote unquote a big deal, but they are to us. What's a big deal is so subjective and individualized to each person and nobody gets to judge you for what you feel big feelings about. Nobody gets to tell you what's right or wrong to have those big feelings about, what's justified. You are so valid in your feelings. Don't let anybody tell you otherwise. So yeah, like I'm saying, finding those people in adulthood who understand the big feelings. And again, it doesn't have to always be people that also experience feelings the same way, but just having people that understand and aren't creating an unsafe environment for you to feel those feelings in. This is something that I find is a problem for a lot of people in heterosexual relationships with men. Not here to generalize or anything. However, you know from my past experiences and I know from all of my friends' past experiences, almost anyone I know who's dated a man has dated a man who has made them feel like they are a problem when they cry, when they express their feelings. It makes their partner uncomfortable, that their partner's calling them out on having alligator tears, saying, oh, not this again, or calling them manipulative for crying. It just breaks my little heart. And I know, honestly, any of us out there who are sensitive folks listening to this, you've unfortunately probably had an experience with somebody like that, whether in a romantic or platonic relationship. But again, I just find especially this is prevalent in heterosexual relationships with men. Finding somebody that is a safe space for you, where you feel safe, comfortable, and open to be able to feel all of those big feelings with is really, really important and extremely healing in adulthood as a sensitive person. Because this current society is not structured for sensitive people. So how and who I surround myself with is extremely important for me to thrive and live a happy life. I've made a couple sections to chat about things that I do and am aware of in my current life to make navigating this world as a sensitive soul just a little bit easier. The first thing is curating a safe space in my home. Because my home is my haven. It is my safe space. So for me, I like a really clean and organized home to minimize stress. I don't want to say visual clutter because I am a bit of a maximalist. Minimizing things that look stressful to me around my home because if I go out and I'm in an environment where I'm overstimulated, I'm with people absorbing a lot of emotions, I need to come home and I need my space to be the place that grounds me and centers me and is safe for me to express whatever the heck I need to express. For me, this looks like a lot of things. Um, when I transitioned a couple of years ago from being married to being on my own, I stayed in the same apartment and I repainted the whole thing. I was like, okay, vibe check in the dwelling. We need to make this girly pop central. Don't mean that in a way of like pink everything because I'm about to talk about how I painted things green, but I just needed it to be... A space without a man. I don't know how else to word it, but it was finally my space living on my own at the time that I got to make to specifically just be for me. Everything I needed it to be, to be my little slice of safety. Oh, like I was just saying, for me, that looked like painting my bathroom and my kitchen tea leaf green. I have been dreaming of a soft green paint for so long. If you know, you know, but there is an Architectural Digest video on YouTube of Dakota Johnson's house and her kitchen has just beautiful green in it. And mine does not look like that. I rent an old falling apart apartment in a very old neighborhood of my city. But you make do. And painting 
the walls made a world of difference. Listen, I'm somebody where I recognize I am not buying a house anytime soon, if ever, this economy and housing market in Canada. So for me, having my parents come over for a weekend and help me paint the whole apartment really just lifted my spirits, made my living space feel so much cozier because I don't know, I know a lot of like newer apartments you go in and it's all white walls everywhere, which is a vibe for some people. For me, that would be a lot of white, but here it was the opposite where the people who had lived here before me were here for over a decade and they had painted as well. And they had painted like dark brown almost throughout the entire apartment. It was not it. It was so gloomy and depressing to me. So when my parents offered to help me repaint the whole place, I was like, okay, I'm getting my sage green tea leaf bathroom and kitchen. It really, really does make such a huge difference. Fun little tidbit, since I know a lot of people weren't following around that time, it was before my account kind of grew, but I picked my living room and hallway paint colors because I wanted like a nice taupe, but also this color was called Greyhound. And if you know, you know. So anyways, just helping to say creating a nice serene environment in your home is super, super important. If there's one thing I've learned since renting is that it never hurts to ask. I do consider myself lucky that I live in an apartment where I can paint. I can hang as much stuff on the walls as I want to. It really helps me to be able to actually feel like I'm in a home, not just an apartment. I want to talk to you about a Canadian company y'all might be familiar with if you've been following for a while that I use as part of my own contraceptive plan, and that's Ovary. Ovary is a gender-neutral reproductive care company offering ovulation, fertility, and pregnancy tests for everybody and every body. Knowing when you're in your fertile window and tracking hormonal changes like the timing of ovulation with the menstrual cycle is so empowering and helpful to use as a tool for times when you're trying to avoid pregnancy as well as if you're trying to conceive. What makes Ovary unique is that the test strips are nearly completely recyclable and use 95% less plastic than other tests you're probably accustomed to using. The tests are also conveniently sold in bulk, equaling them out to be closer to $2 a test rather than the $20 per test that you might see in single packages in the pharmacy. The love I have for this brand is truly unreal as someone using them to avoid contraception who's tired of seeing pink pregnancy test boxes with babies on the front. Ovary is woman-founded and operated and made right here in Canada. To give Ovary a try or keep their tests on hands for moments that might pop up, you can use code MEADOW10 M-E-A-D-O-W-10 for 10% off site-wide. They also have a wealth of other educational resources and information on their site, so head on over to the link in the description and give Ovary a try. I want to introduce you or reintroduce you if you've been a longtime follower to my favorite Canadian organic period care company, Joni. Joni offers pads and tampons that are gentle for both your body and the environment. With their products being free of dyes, fragrances, bleaches, and being biodegradable, they're gentle and ideal for even the most sensitive of bodies. I personally have been using Joni pads for three years now. If you don't know, I live with a condition called lichen sclerosis. It affects the tissue of my vulva, making conventional pads a nightmare for me as my skin is so sensitive. Since switching to Joni, I don't have to worry about triggering a flare-up, uncomfortable rashes, or having a concern about what ingredients are being absorbed by my skin. As a whole, Joni Pads focus on community care by giving back 5% of all revenue towards the mission of period equity. Joni period care products are now available across the retail shelves of many shops across Canada and are available online for customers in both Canada and the United States on their website, getjoni.com. You can use code MEADOW M-E-A-D-O-W for 10% off your first order of any Joni products or subscribe and save 15% on every single recurring order plus free shipping over $15, no code required. The next thing that is important is surrounding myself with things that I like, not just what I think other people would like or visitors or guests. 
not just because I don't really have a lot of visitors and guests, but because this is your home. This is your space. You shouldn't be decorating it because of what you see on TikTok or what you see on Pinterest or on HGTV. It's cool to pull inspiration from those places, but ultimately you need to come home at the end of the day and think, what do I want my space to feel like? It's going to nurture me in this environment to be my best self, to heal my mind, my physical body, to just be yourself. So for me, it looks like a lot of things. I'm surrounded by all of my family heirlooms, all of my books, all of my jelly cats. Home is truly a collection of things throughout the past decade of living outside of my parents' house that just bring me happiness and peace and joy. So many handmade things by friends, local artists, local creators. This is kind of an aside, but a small piece of honesty, I suppose, for younger people or older who might be moving out for the first time, you do not and should not be making your house feel like a home over the course of a month. Like I said, I've been collecting things over a decade for my apartment. It's bloody expensive out there and it's so much more fun to pick up cool, unique, meaningful pieces throughout the years rather than just going to the store and getting a bunch of mass-produced stuff all at once. And also, I'm not here to judge, so if that's what you want to do, that's okay. I just want to be realistic that to get a place that feels unique and very specific to your interests, it takes time. It doesn't happen overnight. It is expensive. Things are expensive. To me, the most important thing, like I said, was just having a general space where I felt safe. So not having dark, dreary walls, getting those painted was like the biggest thing for me, especially because I don't get much natural light in my apartment. Which is why I'm like, I can't be like those other creators out there. I don't have a nice new fancy apartment with floor to ceiling windows. I get very little natural light. For me, I love mood lighting anyway, so I love having my little lamps on, my little flameless candles. Just having a quiet house, having a quiet space is so important to me as somebody with so many feelings, especially working in, I guess, a mix of healthcare and service industry. I'm talking to people very intimately all day, every day at my job and I come home and it's not to say that I feel overloaded at all because I am really good at separating work from my personal life, but after talking and listening all day, I need my quiet. Even my partner, there's sometimes where I'm like, you know what, I just need like 15 minutes and then we can talk about our days. I just need that quiet time of hearing nothing. Which living in an apartment has been especially challenging at times with certain upstairs neighbors that I've had. I'm so lucky that in my building, it was so copacetic for years where everyone in the six units were so quiet and wonderful. And everyone on my main floor, our three units, are so quiet. My one neighbor's retired. He's super, super quiet. My other neighbor is a student, but like a PhD art student who's just also a homebody, up all night painting, very quietly. Like I never hear a peep from my downstairs neighbors on my floor. Downstairs neighbors has been a lot more challenging and really opened my eyes to how easily overstimulated I am and how much I value my space being quiet. Of course, as I say this, I have new neighbors moving in sometime soon. Upstairs apartment above me was listed for rent recently and I saw online that it is rented and I have been stewing in anxiety because it's outside of my control of who's going to move in there. I'm praying they do not have kids. I'm praying that they're quiet. It is something stressing me out because 
Like I said, I can't afford a home. This apartment is within a rent price that I can afford. I've been living here for seven years, so it's within budget. Can't move if I wanted to, and that is a little stressful if loud people move in upstairs because I am home a lot of the time I spend the majority of my life in my apartment, I don't think is a bad thing. I partially work from home as well with stuff like this. So I really need the quiet. If you can't tell by now, as I'm also saying this, I'm just very careful about who I allow into my space because my home is my energy. It is my safe place. I don't have visitors very often and my friends know I prefer to kind of just go out and get tea or coffee somewhere. I have my select best friends that will come over, you know, for Christmas or whatever, but I'm not, a, sounds, I don't know. This might sound odd to some people, but I'm somebody that doesn't require a ton of connection. I don't, I'm not sure if it's just like introvert to the extreme, I have my two best friends and one of them lives out east on the east coast and we voice message like all day every day, but in-person physical hangouts, really kind of just exhausting to me. Not my thing. I like to be in the home. I mean, my partner's also one of my best friends and getting to hang out with your best friend every night is super fun in itself. Yeah, my space is my space. It's not made for anybody else. It's made for me and what's going to most help me unwind at the end of the day. So now I want to talk about how I decrease overwhelm in public places as somebody that's hypersensitive. When I say this, I'm talking about, you know, grocery stores, events, shopping centers, really anywhere open out in the wild. <laughs> Again, for somebody who is just in general overstimulated really easily as well, not just hypersensitive, earplugs are a really, really big one for me. Now I have both like earplug earplugs and I've been looking into the loop earplugs for over a year. I feel like they've been like sitting on my wish list and I just haven't pulled the plug, bit the bullet on them yet. Here they're quite comfortable and you can get different decibels of how much noise they reduce, which is interesting. Yeah, I find these really helpful for all kinds of environments, highly stimulating environments, even like the grocery store where people are talking, there's music playing, there's bright lights. It's a sensory nightmare. A lot of people like to bring their headphones and listen to music or podcasts, but again, as somebody who is just constantly having thoughts and voices, whether people are talking to me or I'm overthinking in my head, I really value the quiet. So I prefer earplugs to just tune everything out as long as I'm in a safe environment to do so. For me, that's really helpful. This is also really helpful for me in places where I just cannot absorb other people's problems, other people's feelings, uh, other triggers per se to specific anxieties. When I'm going places like the hospital, doctor's office, dental office, anywhere in those kind of settings, I like to bring my earplugs to just try and tune everything out. I'm not hearing other people's stories. I'm not hearing about their lives. I'm not having to worry about hearing certain noises, words, triggers, that send me into a spiral. I can just tune it out, center myself, and be at peace with myself. Another thing that you can do if being overstimulated is kind of something that feeds into your hypersensitivity, look for sensory friendly hours at your local stores and grocery stores. I want to say it was Sobeys, but it might have been Food Basics in Ontario was doing this for a while. I'm not sure if they still are, but on certain days they would open an hour early or stay open an hour late and have a sensory hour where the music was, you know, either completely off or played at like 25% volume and the lights were half lowered as well so that it wasn't as bright which I wish everywhere had this. It would make shopping such a more 
pleasant experience. I can't even go into grocery stores with how overwhelming they are to me. I do click and collect, which is okay. There's certain areas of my life where I'm working on exposure related therapies. And there's certain things where I just recognize being sensitive isn't something to fix. It's something to manage and figure out how I can use it to my best ability and where I can do things to make it a little less draining on me. Another thing I like to do is I try to leave everywhere better than I found it. So say I see a cashier, a receptionist, etc. They're being short, a little snippy. I try my best to exercise my patience in those moments you know, the kill them with kindness kind of attitude. We live in a very fast-paced, high-expectation society, and I try to manage those unrealistic expectations by breaking the cycle myself. Maybe these people that are having a rough day and they're at work and they're being a little short with you, maybe that's the energy that they've been receiving from customers all day. I'm not there to try and change their mind or change their attitude, but if I can just soften their day a tiny bit by showing them some compassion, that's what I want to do. That's the mark I want to leave on the world. Even in these moments where say I'm receiving a really bad service, I try and just stay compassionate and try and take myself out of the main character syndrome and understand that everyone else has their own shit going on too, which again is just like part of being a hypersensitive person is feeling for everyone else so much. For me, I really want to break the spell that we have out in the world of, like I said, just fast-paced, instant culture. Not going anywhere in a rush, not operating in a rush, just working at my own pace on my own schedule. So for me, even this looks like, you know, when you're going to the grocery store and they're bringing through, say you pay cash, which I know doesn't happen much anymore, but they give you your cash, you've got to pack up your groceries and suddenly you're feeling really rushed so that the next person can go. Somebody is in so much of a rush they should have left the house earlier. And I live by that. It makes me sad when I see other people in a rush. A couple months ago, I was at the Dollarama and there was an older lady in front of me and she was getting all jumbled because she couldn't remember her pin to her debit. So then she had to count out some change to pay. She looked back and she was like, oh, I'm, you know, sorry I'm taking so long. And she's like, I could tell by her tone, she expected us to be frustrated. And we were just like, we have nowhere else to be. You are welcome to take as much time as you need. We are just fine waiting. And she looked so relieved. I think it's moments like that where we all just need to remember to exercise more compassion and think how we feel in those situations. It's also really grounding to do that. Sometimes when I'm in an anxious spell, if I just pull myself out of it by practicing some kindness to people in my environment, it just makes the world feel like a better place. And if anything, just tricks my mind temporarily until I can get to a place where I feel safe to feel my feelings, if that makes sense. No, I don't want to cry in the middle of a grocery store. When I get back to my car, that's a different game. But that leads me to my next point, which is feel your feelings. I have no shame in crying in my car. I fully stock Kleenex in there. Shrek said, a better out than in. It is just so okay to feel your feelings. And if you have been in environments before, like I said, where you've been made to feel like it's not okay to cry, that places aren't a safe space to do that, I am telling you, it is okay to feel your feelings. As with all emotions, not everywhere is going to be the most ideal safe place to unload those feelings. So for me, if I'm in those moments where I'm like, I don't feel safe in a grocery store to have a meltdown, I don't want to subject other people to that. If I'm in a position where I can help that, I just try and keep a lid on it until I get to my car 
And then I let that out because the longer you hold it in, A, if you're driving, you're going to be unsafe to drive, pull over and cry if you need a cry. And B, it's just not healthy for you to bottle all of that up. It's okay to have these big feelings and trying to ignore it and suppress it and not deal with those underlying things that are bothering you is going to make everything so much worse when you do finally let yourself feel those big feelings. But when I am having those tough days or I'm facing environments that I know are going to be triggering for me, I like to get myself a little reward for doing the hard things. And you know, this can look like a lot of things. Some days it is a McDonald's fry and a Diet Coke because that is just my ultimate for fixing anything. It's just popping in the dollar store and getting a Reese's peanut butter cup. Maybe it's just having an extra long shower, something to look forward to after you've done that hard thing to just reinforce to yourself that you can do the hard things. It's okay if a lot of feelings come up and you did that. The next area that I want to talk about is being mindful of who you surround yourself with and protecting your peace. A lot of the time, sensitive people, highly empathetic people are often taken advantage of. So let go of the energy vampires in your life. Some people take, take, take and drain. And as someone sensitive, people can take advantage of that empathy, eliciting constant stress and distress on you. Recognizing those people too can be challenging because often it can be a parental figure or someone that's really close to you in your life and setting those boundaries and not allowing them to make you feel that way anymore is really hard. I have a book recommendation. I haven't read it in a long time. Like I'm talking like six years. It's called Dodging Energy Vampires by Christine. Northrop, I think is her name. I am loosely recommending this because I feel like I've heard in the past some things about this author, but as just a, you know, I like to always say, take the bits of information that help you and let go of the ones that don't serve you. I remember it being very beneficial for me to read and about setting boundaries with different people in your life and different relationships, family relationships, work, and just like I said, setting those boundaries. So it's just important to surround yourself with people who get it and communicate your needs and your feelings. If you're doing that and somebody is not driving with it, then they are not the person for you. And maybe it's time to reevaluate those relationships. Like I was talking about earlier in the episode with me and my friend, Sam, that is somebody who I know is just a friend for life. And we have ebbed and flowed in our lives. I don't think she would mind me sharing this. And it's not like any of you, unless you grew up with me, know who she is anyhow. But we had a big falling out for like a year and a half where we didn't talk when I had gotten married, which was during the pandemic. So we ended up eloping and she was really hurt by not being invited. And at the time, I hadn't even thought to have that conversation with her because we were only able to have, I think, four people each um, invited just with the, the rules for even outdoor gatherings. I didn't know at the time why she had just, you know, blocked me on social media, removed herself from my life. And I understand now that she was going through her own things and that that really hurt her. And years later, I, you know, added her again. I was like, hey, like, I don't know what happened, but... I really miss you. And she was like, honestly, I feel really silly saying this. And once I did it, I didn't know how to reapproach you. But you know, X, Y, and Z, this is how I felt. And I was like, damn, no, I'm really sorry. Like, that's not how I ever meant to make you feel. And I can totally see and understand why that would make you feel that way. And uh, now we've been thick as thieves again for, you know, years and talk every single day. But I think that just goes to show there is healthy problem solving in friendships when there's people who get it. Not everything has to be big and explosive. And it's also important to understand when other people need to set a boundary against 
you. And that is the hardest one to swallow, especially as a sensitive person who is a people pleaser and doesn't want to upset other people. But taking accountability and just understanding if other people need a little time out for whatever reason they have going on and to not take it too personally, take it constructively, but also just remember that everyone is living their own life and keeping those people around that both understand when you need a little bit of a break from just people in general and then being understanding if they do as well and being able to work through that in a healthy way. That is a sign of good people in your life. Again, a little bit of like gaps, I guess, in the topic here. I'm somebody where I work for myself in my day job and in the little bit of online work that I do. So I don't have to so much deal with this in a work setting. And I am just really curious. I'm not sure if there's resources out there for dealing with this in work settings, but I'm sure that can be really, really difficult and exhausting. So while I can't so much touch on that because this podcast again is just me talking about my personal experiences, my lived experiences, what's worked for me. I'm not a professional. I can talk about things that I know, like I said, work for me. So for me, that's prioritizing taking care of me. Take care of yourself. Prioritize that. One of the biggest ways that I implement this in my life is keeping my calendar, my planner as clear as possible, especially as somebody with anticipatory anxiety where I might agree to plans and the day before rolls up and I'm like, really don't want to do that. Do not want to do that. I have learned it's better for me to just not commit to say, you know what, I'll see how I feel day up. And to, like I said, communicate and just be honest with your needs, your feelings and where you're at. It's just going to lead to more issues and troubles and committing to people that maybe are not meant to be in your life if you're pushing yourself into doing things constantly that you don't want to do. For me, my self-care and taking care of my brain and my feelings just looks like playing it day by day. Waking up, seeing how I'm feeling, of course, in life there's commitment and things on the planner, but generally I don't pre-plan hangouts with friends. If I'm going to hang out with someone, it's usually kind of last minute. And even so, I'm usually setting a cap on that of like, hey, we're going to pop by for, you know, an hour or two. Just setting those expectations. Self-care can look like a lot of things. Just remember, you cannot pour from an empty cup. Self-care isn't selfish. So like I said, this looks like a lot of things. It might be having a tea, having a bath. It might be just laying in the dark, in the quiet and decompressing after a long day at work. Be watching your favorite reality TV show. Maybe it's making sure that you're getting your monthly therapy session in. It is whatever you need. But for me, having an unwinding routine and being mindful of carving out that time for myself to take care of myself is the most important thing. So I know at night I need at least two hours before bedtime to start having my bath, having my shower. If I'm going to wash my hair, doing that, having my tea. I want to have time to read some of my book. I want to have time to watch a little bit of YouTube. I want to go sit outside on the porch with the birds, whatever it might be. I know that I carve out at least a couple hours before bed to have that time with myself, to check in with myself and just see how I'm feeling and where I'm at. Because like I said, we're in a world where so many people are micromanaging their entire lives and their entire days and trying to just be the most quote unquote productive they can be. But to me, the most productive thing I can do is just taking care of myself. And for me, that doesn't look like micromanaging my schedule at all. That looks to me like seeing how I'm feeling hour by hour and doing what I need to do to make sure that I'm refilling my cup. 
So those are some of the ways that I help to support myself in being a really sensitive person in a wild, wild world. And I'm really curious if any of you fellow sensitive soul folks have anything that you find super helpful for you in managing these big feelings and surviving this world with them. I would love to hear. Let me know. My DMs are always open over on Instagram at Vic in the Meadow. Like I said, you can also find me on TikTok at Thick Sauce. I'm thinking of just changing my username over there as well, seeing if Vic in the Meadow is available so it can just be, you know, consistent all the way through. Really appreciate y'all listening to this and hearing me out on this episode. I know I said if I thought of anything else new that's been going on, I would circle back to it at the end of the episode. And I'm going to be honest with you, I can't really think of anything. Like I said, after this weekend of just kind of emotional turmoil over anxiety, I haven't really done much, which is good. That means I've been taking care of myself and I felt well enough today on Tuesday to make this podcast. Oh, but what's on the rest of my agenda for the day? Emails. I love to put off emails. There's nothing I hate more than an email. (laughs) Editing this podcast. Probably gonna watch a little bit more Gilmore Girls. Oh, I'm, oh, this reminded me of something I did want to talk about. I have to say I'm gonna read my book, which I'm reading Ruby Spencer's Whiskey Year right now, which so far I'm loving. It is so stinking cute. It's about a 35-year-old woman who is a cook, writes cookbooks, and she goes to Scotland, stays in this cute little cottage. I'm like only a couple chapters in. But she's working at this, what, what would you call it, pub, I suppose, uh, and is helping to cook in exchange for being allowed to use their kitchen to write a cookbook while she's in Scotland. But she comes across this broody Scott. Anyways, I am loving the vibes so far. What I wanted to talk about, I've had a few people message and say that they are very interested in my book chats and my book talks. And August was an insane month for me with reading. I added it up and between audiobooks, my Kindle and physical books, I read 32 books, which is almost a book a day in August. I think that that is definitely a record set. I usually am at half that amount. I have been chug, chug, chugging along. I was not watching much TV in August and I've just been enjoying reading. Whenever I'm like doing dishes, I'm listening to an audiobook. But I've been trying to think of the best ways to talk to y'all about that. And I've really been wanting to start like a a book club, a book chat, places where we can just discuss books. And I'm just not sure the best way to do that because I don't want to have a paywall behind it. I'm I'm not a huge Facebook person. I don't want to do like a Facebook group, but Instagram doesn't really have great features either to do that aside from subscriptions, which again, costs money to have like that exclusive, you know, group and content and chats. So I'm not sure here. I know I've heard of like Discord before. I'm not sure though how many of y'all use that or would like want to learn a new app. I had it for a brief period of time for another book group I was a part of and I was just like, man, I don't know. I don't know. So what I'm saying is I don't know. This is an idea I have. I would love to create some kind of book group chats even better if I you know list a book a month where it's like if you want to read it along with me and we discuss it we do that but in general just a place to talk to other bookies talk about what we're reading what we're loving what we're not loving so if you have any feedback on maybe a good platform to do that on or a good way to do that I would so love to hear that because I love that idea so much and I'm so excited when y'all want to talk to me about books, when y'all ask me for recommendations, or when you give me recommendations. That is something I'm setting as, I guess, a goal per se for sometime this year. 
And by this year, I mean this school year. I've been out of school for eight years and I still think of my years as starting in September, but sometime before next summer, I want to figure out book talks and book groups because that is like my favorite hobby in the world. So I would really appreciate any insight on that. But thank you all so, so much for listening. You can check out the show notes for any extra info. I always try and pop in the show notes if I'm talking about any like books, TV shows, sponsors are always in there, whatever it might be. It's in the show notes. Otherwise, you can find me on Instagram at Vic in the Meadow and TikTok at Vic Sauce. Thank you so much to those of you that have taken the time to write reviews. Somebody wrote a really, really sweet one at the end of August, and it made my whole day when I got the email with that review on Apple Podcasts. Or if you go on Spotify, it's super quick. You can give it a rating at a five stars, whatever the heck you think that it deserves, how you're enjoying it. I really, really appreciate that. And to those of you as well that are like, I'm sharing your podcast with everyone I think would give it a listen because I love it so much. You have no idea how much that means to me. This long form content creation was something that was really intimidating when I first started it. And now it's my favorite part of my week is sitting in my little office with my little tea or water and my little microphone and getting to chat with you guys and catch up and talk about things that I think a lot of us in our adulthood are just experiencing, pondering, and going through. So I really appreciate it. I really appreciate you. New episodes every Sunday morning, trying to get them up by 7 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, which is usually before I'm awake. So until next Sunday, I hope you all have the most wonderful week.